Welcome back to your home inspector training. I am Garth Haslam, the home medic. Subject today is stairways and all of the many related systems associated with stairways. You know, you would think that stairways of all subjects would be a fairly easy one to cover. It's got a thousand different rule sets associated with it. And, you know, there's a few sets of rules that I tell my clients that guide me in any inspection that I do. One of them is that you hold the home to the standards of when it was built or last remodeled. So, for example, if you got a home that was built in 1948 and then maybe, let's say, the stairway was remodeled in 2012, the stairway gets held to 2012 standards while the rest of the home generally gets held to the standards of 1948. The only asterisk to that is that if something is unsafe, then it's unsafe. Now, for you to decide what that means, you know, will always be the case. Examples of that for me are, for example, the electrical. Maybe you've got 1948 wiring or maybe you've got a 1948 fireplace where the wiring is just inadequate for current demands, or maybe you got a 1948 fireplace where it's just got a very shallow firebox, and maybe you got a hardwood floor. You know, that was okay back then, but it wasn't okay by today's standards. Another one of the rules that we use is that none of us are, let's say, code certified in all aspects. You know, maybe it's possible that you actually are certified by code as maybe an electrician. That's great, and it can make you a better inspector, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a code inspector for stairways or plumbing or HVAC or structural issues, etc. You want to avoid using the word code, the C word for home inspectors, and instead use terms like building standards. What I'm getting to is that there are a thousand rules for stairways and while it is good to be up to speed on what those are in the year and state that you are in, just be aware that a home built maybe in 1948 or 1978 or what have you does not necessarily have to meet brand new home standards. Sometimes you'll run into a buyer who's under the mistaken impression that everything in an older home needs to be up to current standards. That would be mistaken because, you know, basically the bottom line is it's impossible to bring up a home built back in the day without raising every home that you run into, and that's just not going to happen. Maybe you've got a home built in 1948 and the steps are falling through. Of course, that was not okay in 1948, it was not okay in 1978, and it's not okay in... 2048. So that's the sort of thing that you're going to want to be paying close attention to as you're going through this. As I go through these items, I'm going to be mentioning what the code is as of the time that I record. But again, you know, huge disclaimer here, that does not mean that you hold every home that you inspect to these standards. You're going to want to use some judgment and just make sure your primary thing is is this stairway safe? Let's start with the handrail on the stairway. If you've got four or more risers, another way of saying this is if there's three or less, a handrail is not required per the standards of the day. Now, again, if you go back to maybe an older home, you say, all right, we've got four or five risers, there's no handrail. 
that's probably not safe by yours and my judgment by today's standards. So you could recommend that we have a handrail. It would be less of a high priority issue and, you know, put few less red flags around it than if the home were built yesterday. So if you got four or more risers, you're going to want to require a handrail or write it in. The handrail, by more recent standards, should be placed between 34 and 38 inches, and you should have a one and a half inch minimum distance between the wall and the handrail. I've seen sometimes where people put a handrail there, but it's right flush against the wall. And when you do that, of course, you can't get a human hand around it, and that's a problem, so you'll want to write that in. Kind of just be aware of as a, an inspection point, you know, you may or may not choose to pull out your tape and measure whether you've got an inch and a half minimum or whether you've got 34 to 38 inches. Probably ought to count the number of risers, but in the handrail category, probably the most important thing you do is you just make sure that there is a handrail there and that it seems like it's in the right position. I have seen where somebody would maybe put in a handrail, but it was for grandma, and grandma was like four foot nothing. And that was great for grandma, but when grandma moved on, and now we've got a new family in there with six-foot adults, that handrail that's way far down will need to be removed and relocated to a proper position. Again, when you reposition the handrail, that is remodeling the handrail. And at that point in time, it is subject to current standards, whatever they are at the time. So you can always make that argument that if something got moved yesterday, it is held to more current standards. Let's talk about the stairway itself. It needs to be a minimum of 36 inches wide. And if you've got a spiral staircase, it needs to be 26 inches wide. The spiral staircase, you know, if you want to get more into that, maybe that happens a lot more in your area. You're going to have to do that research on your own. My own experience is I'll see a spiral staircase in maybe maximum of 1% of the homes that I do. So obviously spiral staircases have some disadvantages. If you run into one of those and it is the only access to the attic or whatever space that you're getting into. If it's a living space, you're going to want to just make sure that your clients are aware that spiral staircases are, are of course, less safe and you want to make sure that it doesn't feel rickety, that sort of thing, that the handrails are solid and point out the obvious, which is that they're going to have a very difficult time getting a mattress up through a spiral staircase. Those are kind of the points that you're going to want to make sure that are clear to the client as you're moving through the inspection. This is another reason why it is nice to have the buyer there with you as you're doing this because not all of that kind of information can make a report. The executive summary on that kind of a report would be, you know, a 50-page essay and nobody has the ability to or the time to write all that. So good to have the client there. Now, let's talk about the treads for a minute. Current code as of the time that I'm recording this is that you have a 10-inch minimum tread. Again, if you run into a home that was built in uh, 1902 and maybe you've got a 9-inch, maybe it's a very steep sort of a riser and tread system. Maybe Grandpa had to go from the attic down to the main floor and he just didn't have the vertical and horizontal lengths, 
you know, there is some forgiveness factor for that versus a home that was built yesterday. In any case, if you see something like that, and maybe the home was built in 1902, it's still something to write up because it is still unsafe. But it's more important to me that you are clear with the client who is there that, to some extent, at grandfather's, you know, the reality, and I've, I've mentioned this to clients, depending on the situation, I says, if you want a new home, go buy one. In many cases, people buy these older homes because they like that it's an older home, and so the expectation that it be up to brand new standards is not reasonable. So we've got a 10-inch minimum tread. The current code calls for a 3-8-inch difference maximum between the depth of the tread. So maybe you've got one tread that's 9 and a half. Maybe you've got a tread that is 10 and a half. And so you, uh, subtracting the two, you've got a 1-inch difference maximum. That is going to trip people. Quite often I will see where that happens is you're going down a set of stairs. Maybe somebody doesn't get the nose right, and as you look from the top of the stairs, you can see a noticeable difference where you really have to aim your foot. You've got to actually look at that first tread and aim your foot, or you're going head over heels down that stairway. And of course, that sort of thing is going to be a high-priority issue regardless of the year. People are going to be falling over themselves and getting major injuries. So that's a high-priority safety issue, which for me is the most I can abuse any issue. And in that particular case, it doesn't matter what year the home was built. That's going to be breaking bones present day. And so you need to be clear that such a thing is going to need to be addressed. It is worth the homeowner spending even thousands of dollars getting that right so that they are not damaging themselves. Now, again, let's say that maybe we've got two adults that are living in this property and maybe they're athletic and, you know, there's no old people, there's no, there's no children. Maybe at that point the risk is less and you might possibly be able to just do your job by clearly stating that. And in that particular case, maybe it is not as a high priority as it might be if you've got elderly people or children that are having to aim their foot every time they go up and down those stairs. So, again, some judgment will be required. The tread condition, you're going to want to look at that. Obviously, you have stairs interior and you have stairs exterior. And I have seen, especially on deck stairs, where you'll have a tread that is either chipped away or maybe you've got a 2 by 4 that's rotted at the base or something like that. you got that sort of thing going. You know, if people have to start aiming their foot and looking directly at that tread so that they can make sure they hit it, or maybe you've got a tread that has a chunk taken out of it for whatever reason. Maybe you've got a bad 2x4 on the stairway to the deck. All of these things are, again, they're high-priority items. And usually in that case, the deck might have been built within the last 20 years or so. It's certainly something that is a high-priority safety issue. You want to also look at the step height, especially the first tread. Quite often, a homeowner... Somebody who's building that stairway will maybe do the first step height that's two or three inches, and then they'll go a standard height, maybe eight inches going up. And when that happens, again, you've got a difference in step height. Now, the stairway experts will tell you that the first step will program the brain for how high to lift the feet as the person moves up or down the stairways. And when you've got different step heights, confuses the brain, people start falling over, get in injured, 
And that's when you start getting those 3 a.m. phone calls. So best thing you can do for yourself and your clients is to make sure that you have those sorts of safety issues covered. Okay, the risers are another inspection point. A maximum difference between the risers should be three-eighths of an inch. And, of course, the riser height should be eight inches. So you've got a max difference of three-eighths of an inch between the tallest riser and the shortest riser. Again, I don't believe that anybody expects you to get out your ruler and test those. I mean, it's entirely up to you if you want to measure each of the risers to make sure that there's a maximum difference of three-eighths of an inch. But sometimes you can see where it's pretty obvious. Maybe you go 8 inches, 8 inches, 8 inches, and then 11 inches. You know, at the last one, just because Grandpa couldn't figure out how to get everything even. When that happens, again, you've got a safety issue that needs to be written up and made clear to the homeowner, those sorts of things. You know, the stuff that can land your client in the hospital is the stuff that you're going to want to most protect them from. This certainly fits into that category. The guards on a stairway are another inspection point. Their purpose, of course, is to prevent people from going over and to prevent kids from going through those guards. Obviously, they need to be tall enough that somebody's not going to fall over. Maybe they're drunk or who knows. Maybe somebody's trying to be stupid and pushing them over. They need to be a minimum of 36 inches you know, I guess uh, you can go higher. That's always allowed. But, you know, if you've got something that's 30 inches, it needs to be written up. Similarly, you want to have a condition where kids can't be going through or sticking their heads in and then getting stuck there. Now, current code, as of the time and state that I am doing this, four inches. In the past, it's been less restrictive, sometimes six, sometimes eight, sometimes nothing at all. For me, again, uh, going back to holding the home to the standards when it was built or last remodeled, with the exception of the safety issue, you know, maybe you got something that was built in 1960 and you've got 8-inch wide rails. Maybe these guys have 2-year-olds. If so, again, you're using your judgment. It is entirely possible that a 2-year-old could get their head stuck. You're going to want to bring that sort of information up to the client, you know, educate them as to what the risks are. Put that on their radar. That, For me, that's the most important thing you can do. And then the fact that you record it on the report, it is important that you record it, but that's the secondary issue. You want to make sure that it's on their radar. You should allow for a 4-inch diameter sphere. One of the things you can do is you can actually go find a 4-inch diameter ball, and that's a way to determine if the home meets current standards. If you can stick that ball through the posts, then you have a condition that does not meet current standards. Again, if you've got a home that was built 1980 and it doesn't meet those I don't know that I personally would recommend full replacement of the guards, but, you know, something you're going to want to bring up. Okay, headroom, you're going to want to go 6 feet 8 inches. In the home that I grew up in, that home was built in 1959, and as a kid, sometimes a stupid kid, I would jump from about the third step down, and there was a couple of times, because I didn't learn the first time, it just about knocked me out as I was jumping I want to say that the headroom on that particular home was about six foot two. 
So it wasn't much lower, but it was certainly low enough. In those particular cases, as I jumped, I hit my head on that ceiling and ended up on my butt with both a butt ache and a headache. Yeah, like I say, I should have learned the first time, but being a stupid kid, I did not. And you can count on every other kid that's going to be pretty much in any house being equally stupid when they're 10, 12, 14 years old. So six foot eight inches is the headroom requirement. You're probably gathering that really your role is more of a protector of these people than a code inspector. You know, to me, that's the case. You're looking for things that could damage their children because, again, there are code inspectors for stairways, but you and I are not one of those guys. So it's important that we do what we do and know what we should know without trying to pretend that we know everything about everything. Okay, let's see. Ground contact is not okay unless we have the wood that's treated with a wood preservative. That's what the research says for me. If there is ground contact, and of course you never know whether something's been treated or not. So if you have ground contact between wood and soil, I would just let the client know this is not good. The wood is liable to be rotting. Maybe you can see where you have treated wood that's been, for example, pressure preserved, etc. It has those marks in it. If you've got that sort of thing going, that meets the building standards as of the time that I'm recording this. But I would still recommend to the client that they maybe swap that out for concrete or something that is less likely to rot or be a pathway in for termites or what have you, carpenter ants, etc. Now, the landings are another inspection point. They should be 36 inches wide by the width of the stairway. So, for example, if you got a stairway that's 38 inches the landing needs to be 38 inches, and the depth, again, I say is the 36 inches. If the rise is greater than 12 feet for the entire stairway, you're going to need a landing in the middle somewhere. So let's say that you've got a total rise 13, 14 feet. You can't have a single stairway going all the way up in a brand new house. Again, if the home was maybe built in 1950, there might be some grandfathering or forgiveness for this, but... For the new stuff, if the total rise is greater than 12 feet, you need a landing in the middle so that Grandpa can stop and rest and catch his breath and then proceed on up to the top of the deck or whatever is up there. Illumination is another one of your inspection points. And the requirement for illumination isn't very restrictive. The bottom line is you've got to have something. You've got to have a light there. If it's a stairway to a deck, you've got to have a backyard light. If it's a stairway inside the house, you still have to have some sort of illumination so that people can see the areas where they have to aim their foot and not be falling down and breaking their bones in the dark. Okay, what I have told you about in the stairway category, we've covered handrails, we've talked about the stairway itself, we talked about the treads and risers and the requirements for those, we've talked about the nose, actually let's hit the nose because I think I skipped over that. The nose, as you look at the side of the stairway, you're going to have your treads and risers come together. The nose is the part of the tread that actually hangs over past where the risers go. 
the nose, if the tread is the left side of a T, the nose is the right side of a T. So you might have maybe nine inches of tread on one side and then one inch of nose on the right side, and that'll give you a 10 inch tread. If you're able to do that inspection point, you know, and there's not sheetrock or whatever there, you should have a minimum nose of three-quarter inch and a maximum nose of an inch and a quarter. So you can see those two numbers are one inch plus or minus a quarter inch for the nose of the system. We talked about the guards, the headroom, ground contact, landings, and then we talked about illumination. These are all inspection points. Sometimes you can get to these, sometimes you can't. One of the things you're really looking for, though, as you're doing inspections for stairways is how is this family going to be potentially injured by whatever it is that's going on there? Similarly, you're going to be looking at protecting yourself. There's been some stairways that I looked at where while technically they are meeting the requirements, there was some shake and bake going on, and nobody wants to deal with that. And if you miss it, they look at you like, okay, you know, you're an idiot, and we're paying you too much, and we're not sure if we believe anything that you're saying at all. So if there's some ricketiness going on, either in the handrail or as you're walking up and down the stairs, maybe they bounce and shudder a little. Those are things you're also going to want to write up because if you don't, you're going to lose business. So what you can do in order to address ricketiness, I guess there's 10,000 ways to actually get a rickety stairway. But from a structural standpoint, one of the things that causes a ricketiness is the stringers between the top and bottom of the stairway. Maybe they've been cut in too deep. Maybe there's too few of them. And if you've got that sort of thing going on, there are some options. You can add scabs, basically another stringer next to the others, also known as brothers. And that's one way to do it. Another way to do it would be to actually add a center support between the top and bottom where you're cutting the length of the stringer basically in half. Maybe you've got a 10-foot long stringer, and it's rickety, and it's bouncy, and so what you do is a center support beneath the bottom, you know, at maybe the 5-foot distance. Structurally, if you cut the span of a structural member in half, you're increasing the strength of that by a factor of four times. So in many cases, that can be the answer for eliminating that sort of ricketiness. Similarly, you can actually go with cross bracing too, where you go from top left to bottom right and top right to bottom left with cross brace supports, and that also can help with rickety issues on stairways. You'll want to make sure that you talk to your client about all the above. They don't have to put up with rickety stairways. And we talked about this in the guards category, but if you have a stairway where children could be going through or over, maybe we had a, you know, a two-foot high guard, you know, you know that kids are going to be climbing over that and doing whatever they can to injure themselves. If you see a guard that is in that condition, maybe a kid could stick his head in, maybe he can get all the way through, maybe he's just going to get his head stuck. Those are the kinds of things that are important. For me, that's the stuff that you are hired to identify and write up and make clear to your client. 
for me, it's less important whether a handrail, where those are supposed to be 34 to 38 inches, maybe you've got 33 and 7 eighths. That, to me, is less of an issue than the safety issues associated with the obvious. Again, if you're going to choose to be, let's say, more particular as relates to code, you need to not only know the code as of the date that you're doing the inspection, but you should know the code for whatever the year is that applies to the home. And that means you're going to need to know 1960 code, 1970 code, 1980 code, 2010 code, 1920 code. And you can see that you know the amount of information you're going to have to know, just in, in this case, the stairway category becomes overwhelming. So it goes back to there needs to be judgment. One of the things that I look for and quite often see would be child slides or shelves. Quite often you'll see where there's maybe a shelf that is, I'm going to say, eight inches across. You'll see where somebody, and this happens even in brand new homes that I see, where somebody does a stairway down and then to the side of that stairway there's a horizontal shelf eight inches wide where you know that children are going to be playing seeing how far down the shelf that they can stand and you know at some point in time they're going to fall off break their head or whatever so while this is allowed by code for me that is certainly an unsafe issue and so i'm going to bring that up to my client make sure they're well aware that you know that's one way for their children to land in the hospital and solutions for that, you know, will depend on the house. Sometimes people put plants there. Sometimes that's just an additional way for the kid to get himself injured. Sometimes you actually reconstruct so that you don't have that shelf there. Sometimes you put maybe a slanted constructed thing so that the shelf is not there and you've just got a slant that the kids aren't going to be able to play on. You're going to have to use your judgment on those sorts of conditions so that the solution fits whatever is going on at that property. So all of this gets you to a kindergarten-level understanding for stairways. For more information, you can always go to my website. We'll have forums there where inspectors can discuss respectfully and professionally as to how they deal with issues like this and how they protect themselves and how they protect the families without trying to pretend you know, that you're the superman of home inspectors and know everything about everything and expect everything to be perfect all the time, which, of course, you know, it's impossible to do and it's impossible to inspect and it makes you an impossible inspector. It's not good business. It's just not good. So... Have that information in mind as you're going through whatever information that you find on my website, homemedicusa.com. You can also go to notchi.org, internotchi.org. There's a lot of good information there, too, that, of course, is updated from year to year as to what the requirements are. And then you can interact with other inspectors there as to how they deal with issues like this. Good information there. Okay, take care of your clients. Make sure they are well-informed. Make sure that you very clearly provide the information that they pay you very well to provide. At that point, they don't mind paying you a billion dollars an hour because you quite routinely can help them keep their family out of the hospital. 
that's my phrase, keep your money in your wallet, your family out of the hospital. That is your role as well. You're charging them a very high number of dollars per hour, and they expect that level of service. Make sure you give them that level of service and much more, and your business will be good. You can sleep well at night. You won't get the 3 a.m. phone calls. Life will just be better. You'll get the 3 p.m. phone calls from people who tell you that they've heard about your reputation and they don't want to hear a sales pitch. They just want you to do their next inspection. That's awesome. It's easier. It's better. It's the kind of business that you want to run. Okay, go out there. Make me proud.